1: Welcome again to another edition of Jedi and Germs on the Jazz, a weekly broadcast brought to you by tornbysports.com. I'm Alan Zog, the Jedi. He's John English, the Germs Guy. We're live on Google Hangouts tonight, and I might have to post this link, but how are you, John? I'm good. Right on. Life is good. You're feeling better?
2: Yes. Yes, I was quite sick last week, but I'm just about over it now.
1: Yeah, it was pretty bad, too, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I had strep throat.
1: Oh! Yeah, that's not fun. <laughs> no. So, we've got, uh, no, I've we got some news sex. and things to talk about. Yes, I can imagine. Um, but we've got news and things to talk about this week. Uh, specifically, the Jazz
2: schedule. The schedule was full of all kinds of interesting things for those of us who find NBA schedules interesting. Um, one thing that jumped out at me is that the very first game is at Detroit. And I went back and checked and the Utah jazz have never started a season on the road against an Eastern team. I I always thought that you start in your own conference and you end in your own conference and the other conference is just kind of scattered throughout the middle. But, but yeah, first time in franchise history, we're going to start our season on the road against an Eastern team. We've had a couple Eastern teams start at home against us. The last one, last time we started against the East was in the 2001, 2002 season where the bucks came here for the, home opener. So that that was the first thing that seemed weird to me. The next thing I noticed is that eight of the first ten games are on the road. So that's that's great if you're like a veteran team and you're going to catch all these teams off guard. But when you're still kind of an up-and-coming team, um, eight out of ten on the road can be rough. Um, I think the Jazz will be okay because it's year two under Quinn Snyder and they've all been together. So maybe, maybe they'll have the advantage there of are at least all been together. It's not like they added a ton of new pieces in the off season and they're against lottery teams. They're against uh start with the Pistons and Stan van's going to be, you know, hoping that this is the year they turn things around there, but you know, who knows? Then it's the Sixers, and they're always a mess, and then you have Indiana where um I think I think Paul George will be back and then but they've lost a bunch of other pieces, so you know they they ought to be able to win that one then they then their first home game is against Portland, which they should win, then they go on the road against Denver, which just seems to be like one of the one of the messiest teams in the NBA right now, except for the fact they got coach Mike Malone. And yet I still think that's a very winnable game. Then you have a home game against Memphis. So that's tough. And then you have four road games against uh, some of the better Eastern teams. So if the jazz can come out of that, like five and five, I think they should feel pretty good about themselves.
1: Five and five, five and five is a good way to start the season.
2: That's not bad at all no especially not with that many road games
1: yeah no i agree with that so so let i mean one of the things they talked about and i saw floating around was the discussion of back to backs um less injury problems because they're trying to stretch some of this out a little bit yet mm-hmm. i look at it and the jazz have quite a few back to backs still
2: well they have 12 um which actually isn't that bad. Um, All, all of the teams have had their backs to backs reduced and they've also been very careful about the four games in five nights. Um, Jazz only have that happen once. And in fact, there there's like only 27 or 28 instances of that the whole season. So most teams will have one. There's two or three teams that don't have any. And they're really hoping that if they're they're able to more evenly space stuff out like this, it'll be easier for guys to stay healthy, get the rest they need, and you'll just have better game quality if you have fewer back-to-backs and certainly fewer of the four games and five nights thing.
1: So, and and I haven't had a chance to look at the schedule yet, but I'm... I mean, do we jump right into it and say where do we expect the Jazz to be at the end of the season? Because I don't. I mean, do we still have our usual? We still have our usual Eastern Conference road trips just prior to the holidays. I'm assuming.
2: Um, nope. I, I we don't have those. No, they got rid of our Christmas road trip. The the schedule is very different this year. Yeah, our I mean our first eight to ten are at home. So December we've got uh let's see we've got a road game on the 23rd and then we've got a home game on the 26th and we got three home games on that week before christmas from the 16th to the 21st so our usual holiday road trip is gone
1: wow and i don't know if that's a good thing because i've kind of enjoyed that Pre-Christmas road trip. I don't know. As a fan, it's been fun to watch, but it's also fun to watch the Jazz come together as a group during that yeah. stretch run. Sometimes it seems to be that that's the best time that the chemistry's built.
2: Yeah, well, they'll have to do it earlier this year because <laughs> they're going to start on the road and they're going to have a lot more home games peppered. One thing I really like about the schedule for the Jazz. Is that means you ha- you're gonna have more of your home games at the end of the season? Six of their last nine games are at home, and that's got to be setting you up really well for the playoffs. Wow! And I also uh, pointed out that of those of those final nine games, you've got two against the Timberwolves, and you've got two against the Lakers, and then you know if Denver a Denver game in there. You have a Phoenix game in there. You have a Dallas game in there. Who knows how they're. Think I lost you, John.
1: Did I lose you, John?
2: Very well be Kobe's last game. And. Depending on how the season goes, I think they'll probably hype it that way. Where even if the Lakers are a lottery team again, which I fully expect, um, Jazz are still probably fighting for playoff spots. So they're still going to be caring about that last win. And ESPN will be doing this giant celebration of, uh, you know, Kobe's final game. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. I mean, Um, if he's healthy this year, I could actually see him, you know, going more. Yeah. Well, I I mean,
1: you you know, you talked about the Denver Nuggets being in a cloud. I, I still I don't know if we know who the Lakers are yet either. And having Kobe, you know, you're right. That could be Kobe's last game. But do we even do we even know who Kobe is yet? Or, and not Kobe, but who the Lakers are yet and where Kobe fits in on that mess yet?
2: Um, I, th- I think they're expecting him to be ready. I mean, he's been out for a long time. I mean, I, I haven't really followed that closely about his health or anything, but I think they're expecting him to, you know, start on game one. I'm, I haven't seen any indication otherwise. But I'm I'm curious as to where the Lakers will be, even with all the changes that
1: they've made. We've talked about that, but are, aren't they still? I do they still have an identity?
2: No, Where's their that? identity is we suck at defense because Byron Scott still our coach. But they have <laughs> they have DeAngelo Russell. They'll be getting back Julius Randall. They got Brandon Bass. They got Roy Hibbert. They they have some actual pieces now, and so the Lakers you know they're they're going to be they're going to be this team of the future and they're going to be this team of the future that happens to have Kobe still there but i expect the lakers to be kind of like the the thunder when they had durant and westbrook but they were still didn't know how to win games cuz they still went like 24 games that year so they could draft harden the next year right i expect lakers to be something like that where they're still not going to be very good, but they're going to have this young talent. That's just going to be super. And, and, you know, once another year or two with that talent, with Kobe retired, then I think the Lakers will be this free agent destination again. Now that's, I, and
1: I could see that. I, I don't know. You've, like I said, you've, you've checked out the schedule more than I have at this point in time. And so it's, where's your where's your prediction where did the jazz end up with this schedule i said when we were talking and i don't know if we talked about this on our show <laughs> all, but i thought the jazz would be around 45 wins this next year that was my prediction mm-hmm. kind of sticking with that even without exum having seen the schedule do you still think that's an option do we still end up there
2: oh yeah very much so um if you can if you start on the road, if you got the majority of your early games are on the road and if you're catching some teams flat footed or teams still trying to figure themselves out or uh, maybe teams that aren't fully healthy yet, you you can sneak in some wins. Um, prob- problem is jazz won't be fully healthy because they won't have X. So it's not that much of an advantage, but um, if you can, if you can come out of that, say they start five and five and they have all these road games done, then at that point they would have, uh, let's see, six of their next eight at home. So you can build some confidence there. And let's say they go, let's say they go five and three on that next six of eight. Cause they do have some tougher ones in there, uh, actually four and four now that I'm looking at some of them. Um, but if they're still a 500 team at that point, that's great because the last two years, they have started off like 6-19 and or something. So they have have started off in deep holes. And I think this year they're set up to start out in more of a 500 pace and then really pick up um, as they get deeper in the season and as they start getting a lot more Eastern teams at home And, um, you know, then you you get up to, like, January and you start to have some teams implode. Um, So, yeah, I I still think even without Exum, the schedule, the way it's set up, I think they're still good to be ending in that 45-win range. And
1: 45 wins is good enough for an eighth seed.
2: Yeah, Kevin Pelton, he... He had the Jazz at 42 and 40 and good enough for the eighth seed. So I'd I'd like to see where he had all the teams finishing based on those rankings because 42 and 40 just does not seem like enough to make the playoffs in the West. Nor do I think the Jazz end up with
1: 42 and 40 either. I thought that was a little low. Granted, I said 45 wins, but hey, three wins is a lot when you're talking about a Western Conference race. Um, but 45 I thought 42 is just a little low, especially whereas the jazz. Where'd they finish up this last year? We had 38. Uh-huh. So you're basically saying with the roster as is minus XM that you're still going to go. <clears throat> you're still going to win only four more games, which I, I, I'm, maybe it's me being optimistic, but I, it's hard to argue that a 19 and 10 finish last year doesn't count for something going into this season. I, I, and, and it is all about scheduling, but John, I'm, am am I, am I too optimistic? Because I, I thought the jazz going into this next season, you finished 19 and 10. It was that too magical. Was that too much? Was that too good? Or can the jazz, um, can the jazz have another finish like that? And another, I mean, 19 and 10 is like, I broke it down. I mean, that's just shy of 50 wins over the course of an 82 game season. That's that's on pace for 50, roughly 50 wins. I, that's a little high, but even at 19 and 10, am I raising expectations too high?
2: No here here's the here's the fools goal to the end of the season. But the, and the thing is, we might strike fools goal again at the end of this season. Um, you're going to, you have teams in there where they've given up on the season. You had teams in there where they were like, all right, we're not going to make it. Maybe we should position for the lottery. Maybe we should start resting some guys. Um, you had a lot of legitimate wins in there though. I'm like the Spurs did not want to lose against the jazz and the jazz still beat him anyway. You all, you also had your best defensive lineup at the end of that season. And that meant Exum starting and we're not going to be able to start with Exum. And Exum, um is a very good defender with Rudy and Hayward. I think I think Exum, Hayward, and Rudy was like the best defensive trio in the entire NBA last year. So <coughs> the challenge there is to make Burks. Um, comparable to Exum's defensive numbers there there are some things that he just can't do Exum was just so long that he just frustrated a lot of guards and he's he's quick so um, he would cause that hesitation um, Burke is a smaller guy but Burke he improved on defense as the year went on he he actually became a, a credible you know at least up to average defender right um, toward the end of the season. So I think, I think Gobert starting the whole year means that they're going to be able to have a good start. And when you get up, then the thing is all teams playing for the playoffs run into this in March and April is that they're going to have those teams on their schedule that just don't really care. And so they're going to get their easy wins, but, um, yeah, I, I think. I don't know if the Jazz will be finishing the season 19 and 10, but I think that they're going to have a stronger first half of the season than they have the last two years, which is going to lend itself to a strong second half of the season. Well,
1: here's okay. So here's my thought based on that, com- but on what you're saying there. Here's another thing to consider the Jazz, they were 19 and 10. Granted, some of that schedule, you know, based on what you just said, but let's not forget there was a five- or six-game stretch where they went without Gordon Hayward, and they dropped five in a row. And five in a row, mind you, during that stretch was a little bit um, – some of those – I look back at that stretch without Hayward and think, what if, because I thought if the Jazz had Hayward, that's another two or three wins that they that they didn't get with him out. So I think some of that um, plays off. So on one hand, you're right. Scheduling gave them that, that push towards the end of the season to get that 19-10. and 10, But on the same token, you also had some wins that you could have gotten but didn't because you were without Hayward. So I almost think it evens out anyway.
2: Yeah, and you got to hope that no one else besides Exxon gets injured. Um, one thing that really helped us was, was Hood was healthy and was able to work his way back in the lineup. And he had to really get into the season. But then you also calculate, okay, but we didn't have Alec Burks for most of last season, so now we're gonna get him back. And every team has this. Every team has injuries they have to balance. And sometimes the healthiest team wins. You know, Warriors did not have a lot of health problems last year, and so they were able to have this stellar season. Right. And you know, the Cavs had their injury problems, and so there's some some things LeBron just can't overcome by himself. So, you know, the Jazz the jazz were shorthanded last year cuz they lost Alk for most of the year and they had they were only had hood coming in and out. This year we know we're missing Exum and we just got to hope that everyone else stays healthy. I mean if everyone stays healthy all year besides Exum, then I would guarantee they're a playoff team. But, you know, we have to hope that nobody else has any problems. Right? I wonder I wonder
1: how much of the 45 game Bit that some of I mean here's a lot of people have asked and and I've seen uh, Ben from KFan ask this I've seen a couple other people ask this how optimistic is too optimistic you're you're thinking you're agreeing with me right around 45 wins I asked if that's too optimistic what if that's not optimistic enough what's the likelihood the Jazz win you know say 48 games w- without Exum most of the season if not all the season and they. Somehow get ahead of, say, the Pelicans and get a seventh seed. Is that far out of the realm of possibilities?
2: No, but it's harder to go from twenty-five to thirty-eight wins than it is to go from thirty-eight to forty-eight wins. I think. Um, you know, once once you start playing in there, then then you're really going to have to show. It, show it every night that that you belong. Now it felt like the jazz were doing that at the end of the season last year. Yes. And and that's what I really look at. It's like, okay, we don't have, we don't have XM this year, but Exum, um XM did a lot of good by staying out of the way um, on offense. In fact, he was frustratingly timid on offense. So, you know, if if they can just have Burke now, and Burke's gonna, I actually like that we're starting in Detroit because you know Michigan's trace state, and he's gonna want to perform well. I mean, he's always gonna want to perform well, but he's gonna debut as the starting guard this year, um, right there in Detroit. So he's he wants to, you know, put on a show and make the Pistons regret once again they passed on him to draft uh, KCP instead right no
1: and yeah i don't know and and i don't know how much more we can hash out of the schedule what other thoughts did you have on it
2: well we got a couple more national games um last year we only had one espn game and they canceled it because they switched to the warriors and hawks so the jazz only had two nba tv games and i don't think those really count this year they have two ESPN and one TNT, and then they also have two more NBA TV games. But it's a an, it's another year where the Jazz are going to be one of the least shown teams, right? So you know they they if they if they have a great early season, and especially if Gobert takes off like we expect them to, then they might they have a chance to get thrown on more national games later in the season. They have a lot of flexibility with those games. Um, and, you know, what? One, the thing that would really help them the most is if someone on the Jazz could perform well enough to make the All-Star game. Because once you have an All-Star, then the NBA will say, okay, we want more national games because we have this name that we can advertise. And who's your All-Star this year? Does anyone make the All-Star See, that's what I wonder is, is if Rudy makes the jump, we expect who has a better chance. Do you think Rudy could get in as a big man or do you think, nah, Hayward is just a little bit better this year and that's good enough to make the all-star game?
1: You know? Um, Yeah. And that's, that wasn't a conversation I saw on Google Plus the other day in Lockdown Sports Group. Because and, and a few people thought. In fact, I think the vocal majority thought that that uh, Gobert was your all-star. Um, and I have to look across the West to see who the small forwards are that Hayward would be up against. Excuse me, and I'm trying to think. I mean, there's the obvious choice in Oklahoma City, assuming he's healthy, which I I think he will be. So you'd almost have to think Durant is the is the number one you know the number one guy at that small forward position um beyond that um I'm trying to think across the other- uh, across the board who your other wing positions are for that for the all star I'm not sure there are very many are there
2: well they 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 don't really look at the one, two three four five that much they just do guard forward and actually they got rid right of center so now it's just like pick your two guards and your three forwards right so you know your starting guards next year probably Steph Curry and James Harden, maybe Chris Paul, and then your three forwards are going to be Dwight Howard and maybe Anthony Davis and probably Kevin Durant, and maybe Tim Duncan's in there. Um, as, f- as far as you still wingers, think Kevin, you still think
1: Kevin Durant gets in there?
2: Yeah, if he's back and he's scoring thirty points a game, he gets back in there. All right. Um you know, maybe Draymond gets in, depends what kind of year he's having. Um, Clay Thompson probably gets back in. Um you know, does anyone on the Spurs? I guess Kawhi gets back in. Tim Duncan would have
1: to, wouldn't he?
2: If he's having that kind of year. I mean, if he's, if he's like, slowing down, he's doing, like, 11 points, five boards a game. Tim Duncan does not care at all about the All-Star game, so I could see about What about, not what about LMA? Oh, yeah. Well, he could. He could. Um, Locke's given me a lot of reason to think that he won't be that big of a change to the Spurs as far as record goes. But LMA has been a pretty good stat guy, so, yeah, that's true. Spurs Spurs could have Kawhi and Aldridge that's yeah. true I forgot about I forgot about that
1: move that but again that's back to your point it depends on how that team's playing and that's see the, the Spurs are an interesting thing when it comes to all-stars though um because when it comes down to it you've got a group there that plays well you don't have any player that's really not you, you're not you don't have standout guys there like you do on say Oklahoma City where you've got two studs and that's your standout guys. In in San Antonio, the way Pop runs that thing, you do have your leaders. I mean, it, it, there's no doubt in my mind that that uh, Tim Duncan's the leader, but is he an All Star leader? And and based on what we see from the All Star game, I'd have to think. Maybe back to your point. Maybe the Spurs don't have anybody that makes it to the All Star game this year because, as a group, they're playing well. But maybe they don't have one particular standout.
2: Well, I mean, I think I think Kawhi. I ha- I have a hard time seeing Kawhi Leonard not having the type of year that would get him there. Right. Um. And and who knows how the thing with Aldridge is going to work out. But. You know, I th- I think I think Hayward or Gobert has a decent chance this year, um, as long as they perform as well as we think they're going to. I think I think another uh, small forward to watch out for is Andrew Wiggins. If he has a second year jump that I think he will, then he he could leapfrog right into the All Star game this year.
1: Which is another reason that I find it hard to believe that unless Kevin Garnett gets a nod because. Oh, he's almost Durant. ready to retire and he's been around the league for as long as he has. I I you know, you're saying Kevin Garnett gets in. I'm starting to think that uh, that maybe Andrew Wiggins is your guy from Minnesota unless unless no, no, no,
2: no, no. I never
1: said Garnett. I thought you said Garnett to begin with. Durant. Okay.
2: Kevin it's Durant. Too
1: bad. <laughs> too bad we don't have live listeners listening right now that can go back and say, "No, he actually did say Garnett."
2: <laughs> well, I guess I'll find out when I listen to this episode tomorrow, but no,
1: I <laughs> Yeah, and if you did, then that makes sense. Then 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 I even look like a bigger fool for going Kevin just, Durant okay. really <laughs> See you just said Durant. <laughs> I know. I know. All right, forget all right. it. Whatever. <laughs> oh.
2: All right. What else? Oh, what else? Is there any any acquisition news? Not that I saw. No, I can't think of any. I did see that Mike Scott's been charged with uh, drug possession, <laughs> but like a serious amount where he could face several years in jail. So that, that'll affect the Hawks' future.
1: Uh, have you yeah, seen any of that story? I have not, but it's Mike Scott. And if I were to say that I saw this eventually coming, would, would that be offensive to anybody? <laughs> mike scott's think, an interesting guy that's all i'm saying he's an interesting guy that doesn't surprise me that something like this happened
2: yeah i, I mean it's it's not like i thought he was going to be that much he was a second round pick he seemed like an interesting player exactly um, he was he was good two years ago he was still kind of okay last year um you know he he seemed like he was going to be a solid rotation guy for a while but with all these problems he just like ah, i don't know if this is worth it yeah
1: and you know well and and the thing is is i don't even based on that i mean it's not even huge news cuz it is mike scott but it does affect it does it does affect depth in atlanta because they're without i mean they've lost some players to free agency uh one of them, the biggest one for them I think was Damari Carroll moving on. So they lose yeah. some
2: depth they lose some depth in there. Yeah, they they did lose that and and I was listening to uh the CBS podcast a week ago where I think Zach was trying to justify that Justin Holiday could be the next Damari Carroll, <laughs> which just was like, uh, well sure, if that happens to come true, then great. But yeah, I don't think so. Can
1: I point out just how far Damari Carroll's come? Because when the Jazz picked him up, you know, and he was a D-leaguer, he'd played in Memphis, he'd played a little time in Denver, he was an unknown, he was undrafted, there wasn't anything exciting about him. And now now you've got guys comparing younger guys on the team to Damari Carroll. Now you've got Damari Carroll in for a big payday, playing somewhere else, this is insane. Good for him. I'm, I'm happy for him. Cause he's been one, he was one of my favorite players when he was here. I mean, he, he, he was a hustle, a fan favorite. It's kind of nice to see him get his dues now, especially a guy who's worked so hard.
2: Yeah. Like 12 million a year worth of dues. So good for him. I think it was 12 million a year. Something like that. Something insane. Everyone got paid insane amounts of money this year. And it's only going to get worse next year and the year after. And all
1: of a sudden the cap explodes. Yeah, we're going to see. I mean, I, I don't think we've seen the last, you know, uh, New Orleans pays out an ungodly amount for their for their uh, free agent. I, I could see that number getting higher and higher for other guys going forward. Andrew Wiggins might be one of those guys that gets a major payday here in another couple of years.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, all those rookies. All um, right. I guess we covered that.
1: Not, not a yet. lot. Of, not a lot of jazz news aside from the schedule, really.
2: No, it's August. Um, Hayward's been invited to Team USA basketball. Very long shot for him to make it, but at least he's you- out there with the
1: experience. Are you surprised at that that no jazz player is looking to be on that squad this year? Are you surprised at all?
2: Well, Hayward's out there. He probably won't make it, but but that that I mean other than Hayward. Um I you know, I was surprised Favors was not invited.
1: Yeah, that's kind of what I'm getting um, at.
2: I I was listening to ESPN kind of rationale some of the other guys and they they talked about Kenneth Fareed's success in international play. I was like, okay, maybe I can see that. Um, I don't get why you would invite Drummond over Favors. Um, I haven't looked at all the assistant head coaches out there, so maybe there's maybe one of the assistant coaches is from Detroit. I I don't know. Um, but I don't I don't get why they didn't invite Favors. He he probably wouldn't have made it either. But but you know there there were some guys. Some of their big men that favors is better than that. So I was confused he didn't get that invite. I love that Rudy stood up for him. Um Hayward is is he's not going to be the first one cut, but he will he will have a real uphill climb to make that team. They have a lot of talented wings out there this year.
1: I'm wondering going forward, one of two things. How much does the emergence of Rudy Gobert um how much does he uh affect favors and what others see of favors good or bad do we see favors do we do we see favors get better as a result do we see favors hiding in the shadow a little bit i mean where do we see favors fit now with and i'm trying to figure out how to put this and i don't know and i had it all thought out in my head before i even said it and now i don't maybe you know what i'm saying but it, it with the emergence of bear it almost seems like that favors is an afterthought with people now.
2: I don't I I'm not comfortable with that.
1: Well, um, and, and I'm not suggesting he is, and that was <laughs> a bad, it's a bad choice of words, all right? I've been really bad at that this week with a bad choice of words, and I I don't mean afterthought, but it's like Gobert is now seems to be the I mean everybody talked about how good defensively favors was when he first joined up with the Jazz. Uh-huh. And and everybody loved the tools and aspects that Favors had game brought. Rudy Gobert comes in, and suddenly Ruby, Rudy Gobert's the guy that's making everybody else on the team look better defensively. And Ruby, Rudy Gobert's having this, this huge effect. My, I guess my question is, does Favors benefit from this hugely, positively on the offensive end? And we just see an explosion from him this year. Or does he end up maybe having a meh season. It's just like what we expect from favors. He's going to give us 19 and 10 a night, which is, which is actually really good, but you just, you know what I'm seeing? It's, it's, you don't talk nearly as much as about him because maybe Gobert continues to emerge bigger and bigger. Do you get, do you get where I'm going with this?
2: Yeah. Well, I mean, there's no such thing as a 19 and 10 season. That's meh. Um, <laughs> and,
1: and, and hence the reason why I kind of pulled back on that just a little bit.
2: Gobert is such a unique talent that, of course, he's going to jump out. His, his his blocking ability is something to really ooh and ah at. I mean, his standing reach is now 9-9, nine nine, which is amazing. But, I mean, Favors did great with Rudy in the lineup. You, you got to figure that Favors, he was playing with Ennis as his sidekick. And Ennis was, you know, he was he was a... He was a time suck with all the coaches. He was terrible on defense, and Favors kept having to clean everything up. When you had Favors and Gobert as your twin towers defensive team, this was an amazing defensive team. And he was—he was—I mean, I'm looking at okay after the All Star break. Derek Favors, 16.3 points, 8.3 rebounds, um, 1.7 blocks a game. You know, those are all great for him. Um, in fact, he had, uh, yeah, he had the best plus minus on the team of everyone on the team after the all-star break. So his game improved next to Gobert. Um, so yeah, he, I, and you know, I'm looking at Rudy, he was 11.1 points, 13.4 rebounds, six blocks a game. You know those guys were fighting for rebounds. Is like my stats, my stats, but but no favors. Favors was just fine um, next to Gobert, and I don't see, I don't see that changing. I think I think that's going to (laughs) continue.
1: Okay, that answers my question then. It's just, it was a thought that came to mind. I'm, you know me, I just, I gander through these things, but let's be, let's be fair. I'm not all altogether upstairs this week. All right. I'm never all together. Forget it. I'm going to dig myself a hole here. Well,
2: let's, let's put it this <laughs> way. At the, at the beginning of last season, you're like, okay, who are the best players on the jazz? Everyone would say, okay, favors is your favors and Hayward are your one and two, however you do it. And you go into this season and it's, I would still say favors is still the second best player on the team, but the potential of Gobert, just, I mean, the sky's the limit with him. So he could be, he could, you could argue that he's the second best player on the team during the season, or maybe even the best, just depending how far his progression goes. So I get that, but it's not like he would, it's not like favors would be the forgotten man. He might, he might go from number two to number three um but that's still on a team with no all-stars where it's a great team game and i you know favors has improved every year steadily every year and so if he has that same kind of steady improvement um then you know he he's another key piece in them getting to the playoffs if favors becomes this 18.9 rebound guy next to the stats that Hayward and Gobert are going to put up, that's tremendous.
1: Yeah. And I guess that's where I'm getting at too is where does does favors fit? And it seems to me that it doesn't bother favors all that much. I mean, the other day, somebody mentioned that he was snubbed in the game and Gobert came to his aid, but you even saw favors kind of, I don't know if he laughed it up, but favorited or retweeted what a few people said, you know, there was, I don't know if you saw that, but some guy said, Something about, um, and I'm trying to remember who I saw this from, but somebody posted it where some guy tweeted out and said, if you think, uh, I don't know why you think Favors' game is good enough for him to be on the team or something like that, the U.S. team. I don't remember the exact wording, but Favors retweeted it, and I'm wondering if Favors is okay being the quiet night. The guy just kind of sitting – I mean he putting together the nineteen and nine a game and everybody's focusing on Hayward and Gobert and forgetting about favors.
2: Yeah, um that's fair, but
1: I know I'm reaching for
2: trust I really am, but it's just No, it's you, it's off season chatter. People are chattering more about Hayward and Gobert than they are favors. But you know, once the season kicks in <laughs> I don't. I don't. Well, uh, how do how do I word what's in my head?
1: See, I made you think, and now you're doing what I'm doing, trying to figure out how to word it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> um, favors favors is kind of a low key personality, but he is so key to this team that um, I I could see nationally. Um, Favors not getting as much discussion as Hayward and Gobert and that's, that's to be expected and I think he is okay with that I think you know Favors is more of a quiet guy than some of the other guys on the team I think Rudy can't wait to be the flamboyant center of the team but um, Favors is Favors ha- Favors is more of a Duncan like personality and this I, is, I think he's cool with that
1: there you go folks this is Germs that's that's about the germs. He brings it all full circle, reads Jedi's mind. I realize it's Jedi mind tricks, but he read my mind. <laughs> he brought it full circle. He answered it the way I had anticipated he would. We're done. We can all go home. Put the lightsabers to rest. We're good.
2: <laughs> all righty then. <laughs> So um, we're, like, we're like Ethan Hunt and Solomon Lane from Mission Impossible 5. I knew you were going to do that, and I anticipated it, so I did this. Well, I knew you knew I was going to do that, so I did this.
1: Well played. Or or I would even go Ant-Man where he says, maybe I let you break in. Well, maybe I let you let me break in. No, that's not going to work here. No. <laughs> But it, that that does segue into our next conversation. You saw Mission Impossible
2: Five. What's your thoughts? I did. I thought it was great. You, you start right off with an exciting thing. You you get your plot right away, and then it's it's you just, your caper is off and running. And you know what's funny about the Mission Impossible series is I have a hard time remembering the plots of them. It's usually like okay, Ethan has to get some disc that some other terrorist wants to use to you know. <laughs> download some virus to bring down the financial something and this guy wants it it usually boils down to i just want a ton of money but um this one i, I never got really uh confused about where this was going um i thought that you know mission impossible 2 was really indulgent mission possible three kind of got lost in there in the middle but this, we'll one, this this one was great just all the way through
1: We'll see. And two, two is the one that doesn't fit your mold for mission impossibles. Two was the one where, you know, they wanted to spread mass chaos with a virus across the world. And uh, he has to try and save it. And uh, his girl that he, the love interest injects herself with it. That one was the oddball of the group. Might I add, it was also the worst one of the group. I didn't like that one. John Woo. That's all I got to say, John Woo. Um, But, but this one this one was good it had it i felt like this one broke the mold a little bit from and and maybe i liked it so much because instead of am i instead of the mission impossible group being the guys that were out to save the world they really were but more than anything they were running to save themselves while saving the world
2: yeah I, i liked how uh I liked how they had the how the IMF got shut down <laughs> and so they were truly rogues trying to beat this crime syndicate. Yeah. And I also liked, you know, Mission Impossible 4 when Jeremy Renner showed up. I wasn't ever really sure what he was doing there. Um I thought his role was a lot better defined this time around. Agreed. And um you know, I like that they. I liked Simon Pegg in this one. I think, and this is his third MI movie. I think this was the best use of him, and now he feels like really crucial to Mission Impossible. Um, originally, they kind of intended Mission Impossible where you could just interchange the players, and then it's like the ones that felt integral kind of got to stick around. So, Ving Rams has been in all of them. Yep. But now, now it's like the the four of them cruz peg rames and renner they they feel like they all have their roles and they're just like a solid team now
1: you know what you know what seems to me though and i'll be interested for number six because they have cruz has agreed to pen for number six or, or to be in number six they're <laughs> gonna do it i can only pray honestly that they will get um Macquarie to do number six because I, I that's one reason why i liked five as well just the way he handled it i loved i love the way he wrote it and, and i love the way he directed it so i can only hope and pray that he comes back and does number six but with all that said and done it's kind of interesting you're talking about uh simon Pegg. his role has increased because in 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 and he's he's gotten progressively like you said they've used him differently but in episode or in number three when he came in he was the office wrapped that they called on to look on the up the computer to find what they need, you know, back at the office. And yeah. he slowly increased his role in number four and to this one. Now he's almost he's almost that sidekick. Whereas on the other hand, Ving Rames, if you've noticed, has actually decreased his role over the course of the series. So I wonder if there's some gonna write him out. Thoughts, maybe?
2: Um maybe Um, you know, each character is at the mercy of the next screenwriter. (laughs) I don't think, I don't think Mission Impossible has ever had the same screenwriter twice. I don't think so either. Um, I know they haven't had the same director twice. Um, I know Abrams had a hand in a
1: couple of them, but I don't remember, I don't remember if it was more than the two.
2: Well, he directed three and he produced four while Brad Bird directed it.
1: That's right. And then he produced five as well.
2: Did he? Because, I, guess, I couldn't remember. Yeah. If I saw this. Yeah, okay. yeah.
1: It was another bad robot production. And I know he had a hand in produ- in the production, maybe just to write his name on it. I, I think, I think, I mean, like I said, the, the majority of this fell on, on Macquarie and, and you're right. They haven't had kept the same writers, but I almost think because of the success of this one, you almost have to go back to Macquarie. Now that's dependent on a lot of things because they just announced this week, that they're coming out with Jack Reacher number two. Um, I didn't see whether McCory's gonna be penning that one. He did number he he did the first Jack Reacher. If they do the second one, maybe he is. Maybe he won't have time to do that in a Mission Possible Six. Anyway, I don't know.
2: Um, I'm looking at McCory's credits and I don't see him linked yet, but I could definitely see that. I think Cruz might still want to Well, let's put it this way. I mean, McCory will probably do Jack Reacher too, but I think with Mission Impossible, I think um, Cruise likes to have a different director each time, and I think they'll continue that tradition.
1: That's probably true. I mean, it, it, the one thing, the one thing, the thing to the credit of McCory Macquarie is McCory's done mostly Cruise films, so the two of them have a very good chemistry and seem to work really well um, because they've done. I'm trying to remember all of. McCory's credits, but I thought he's done three or four films that have crews in them. I'm trying to go back and think of the other two. Um oh, he's, and I'm not remembering.
2: Uh, not really. I mean he he wrote Valkyrie. That's right. And he well, no, you're right, actually. I guess that that is enough to say yes, because he wrote Valkyrie, he wrote Edge of Tomorrow, and now he's done Rogue Nation and the and then Jag Reacher. So yeah, that's four. I mean, McQuarrie got his big break from writing The Usual Suspects. And so he kind of did a lot of other projects. But once he got involved with uh, Cruise, um, that that really helped him. Because his... I mean, Jack Reacher was only the second time that he had directed. He had directed The Way of the Gun back in 2000, which was this... Um, I think it was Ryan Felipe and Benicio Del Toro or something like that. I, I didn't like it at the time. I don't really remember that much about it, but um, you know, he directed Jack Reacher. It was competently done. It was good. And now he's done rogue nation. I thought, I thought rogue nation was a better movie than Jack Reacher. And
1: yeah, yeah I can go. Yeah, with you,
2: on that. you know, he's McCrory's been mainly known as a writer, but now, now he's really showing where he can go as a director. And he's he's kind of had some uneven stuff. He wrote The Tourist, which was really bad. He wrote Jack. Says the who? Giant I liked The Tourist. You liked The Tourist? Yes, I, can, I did. I could not believe that you could get Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp together and they had no chemistry at all. <laughs> like zero. See, they may not have, but I still thought it was pretty good. Wow, you were like the first person I've <laughs> talked to that
1: liked the tourist. <laughs> Uh, And you didn't like Jack the Giant Slayer either, huh?
2: Not really, no. I mean, when the Giants showed up, and I don't know how much of it was the writing, but when the Giants showed up, I just did not like the way they looked. I'm like, oh, they don't look much different than the cave trolls from Lord of the Rings. So it, it just never really came alive for me.
1: I'm trying to remember, but I thought that movie featured the voice of Bill Nighy, too, as one of the Giants.
2: Uh, probably did.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, um, all right. Well, there you have it. Mission Impossible Five. Everybody, you have our double stamp on that. We both enjoyed it. Um, maybe we should do a podcast down the road where we become the next Cisco and Ebert. Oh, that's I'm just throwing ideas out there. That
2: could
1: be fun. <laughs> that could be lots of fun. <laughs> sure, but uh, but no, um. Any any other movie thoughts? There's some news that hit the fan this week for Star Wars. Um, I don't know if you saw some of the EW stuff that
2: hit, but uh, I saw the I new mean, pictures. Yeah,
1: yeah they they introduced some some uh, some names too, uh, like Kylo Ren. They kind of gave a little bit more inf- interest on or information on that. Uh, he gets his name Ren from the Knights of Ren, so it's kind of like the Darth surname. Ren is a surname. Um, <laughs> So he comes from a group called the Knights of, of Ren, but we don't know a lot about him. Only that he's comes from a similar to background as to what we saw from Luke Skywalker, perhaps. Um, and he has a very serious obsession with Darth Vader, and it it shows in in his collection of, of artifacts. And we also learned that he created his own lightsaber. That light that that uh, double hilted lightsaber is his creation. So. Yep. Just a few things they delivered this week. Nothing major. They um, didn't. They did, a, they did release some additional information on the Han Solo movie today. Um, nothing too exciting, other than to mention that that to expect the movie to be about an older teen, early twenty year old Han Solo, and that there's a likelihood that we will probably see connections with Greedo, Chewbacca, Lando Calrissian, and others in that movie. So there's some names they're thrown out there already. Should get you excited for a uh, Han Solo.
2: I don't know if I want to see a young Han Solo though. Why not? Because you you got I mean the casting on that has to be perfect. Yes. So I mean if they can pull that off then great, then you got to have Han and Lando kind of getting into misadventures and then you show You know, when, when did Hans Grulando out of the Falcon?
1: (laughs) Well, and it's, it's actually interesting that you, it's interesting that you mentioned that because that was one of the things that the article actually talked about too. Um, Kathleen Kennedy actually spoke with EW about that's one of, that was one of their concerns with taking on the anthology film is that they, they realize you're tackling something that can cause problems because, you know, it's, it's almost like rebooting and the terminology was never going to fit with star Wars. Disney's never going to reboot anything in star Wars. And mm-hmm. so, and so they don't want people to get the idea from an anthology film that you're rebooting Han Solo. So you're right. There's a fine line they're walking there. And I think Kathleen Kennedy, when she presented it to Kazdan to write it and, and whatnot, when they kind of went with it, they, they thought we're going to try and go with this as an angle that's best suited to to give maybe a little bit of information on who han solo is not so much a background like profile but more of just who he was and what some of his early on life things that he did was i don't know it it sounds to me like they are very well aware of that type rope and
2: they're trying to be careful yeah so young han solo that would you know time wise that would be taking place around or shortly after the events of episode three. Yes. It's kind probably. of to think about, well,
1: you've got a 20 year difference right there because you've got, I mean, you've got a 20 year difference from episode three to four. So it could have been, yeah, it could be anywhere in between there, but you're right. You figure Han Solo was 30, 35 by the time episode four kick around. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the guesstimation. So, all right. Anything else you want to shoot out there? We got, should
2: we call it good? I think we ought to call it good. Sweet. All
1: right, folks. Thanks for joining us. Um, This was a kind of a, we're we're missing, we're missing an important piece tonight. We don't have the production tools of Devon Masters. So hopefully this, uh, hopefully this comes out to you. It might be just a little rough cut compared to normal. Um, and we were throwing some thoughts together and, and yes, it's off season. So there's not a lot to talk about, but, uh, in, you know, hopefully you join us, join us again next time for Jedi and germs. You can find us on Facebook. We do have a Facebook page. It's Jedi and germs. Uh, find us on Twitter at Jedi and germs, uh, at germs guy and at Jedi Zog shoot us an email, Jedi at gmail.com leave us a review. We did get a review recently on iTunes. Want to thank you all for leaving it. We, I read a review the other day. Uh, you'll laugh at this, John. The guy said something about uh, not a bad show for a couple of amateurs more or less is what he said, but the way he <laughs> put it, he's like, he's like, I say amateurs, but I mean it in the best way possible. So I kind of laughed and chuckled when I read it. So, um, but no, we appreciate it. Seriously, whatever you say, guys, positive, negative, we'll take it with, we'll take it with the roll. we'll read it. We'll, we'll we'll give it some thought we we're always looking to make it better and to involve as many of you as possible so thanks for joining us for the ride um and uh, have a good night john take us out
2: bye everybody
0: brain fog insomnia moodiness achy joints weight gain